Hi, you're listening to Bridge the Gap, a podcast that presents conversational discussion about topics in accounting and auditing in an attempt to bridge the gap between theory and practice. And today we're going to discuss auditing standard AUC 320, materiality in planning and performing an audit. Along the way, we'll answer questions such as what is materiality, how is it determined, and what documentation is required by the standard. And as part of our conversation, we're going to discuss materiality's relationship to audit risk. I'm Rob Valdez, and together we're going to bridge the gap. So let's start off with some proper context for our conversation. Um, and a good place to do that is to recall auditing standard AUC 200, because auditing standard AUC 200 discussed the overall objectives of the auditor. And the basically the two objectives were, number one, obtain reasonable assurance about whether the financial statements are free of material misstatement. And number two, issue a report on those financial statements. So the reason this is a good place to start is because we're looking for um, material misstatements. And so right in there, we're using the word materiality. And although this concept might be fairly familiar to a lot of people, uh, AUC 320 actually discusses several important ideas about it that we're going to touch on today. And so when we talk about AUC 320, the objective uh, of this standard is to make sure that an auditor applies the concept of materiality appropriately while planning and while performing an audit. And so, like I said, along the way, we're going to answer three questions. Number one, what is materiality? Number two, how is it determined? And number three, what documentation is required by the standard? So let's start off at the beginning. Number one, what is materiality? In short, materiality is something that is either quantitatively or qualitatively significant that changes a user's economic decisions. So when someone receives financial statements, they're looking at them uh, potentially because they have certain decisions that they want to make regarding this entity. Um, are they going to extend credit? Are they going to invest in this company? Are they going to uh, consider it a risk uh, as a vendor, if they offer them a, a line of credit for purchasing. Uh, so there could be a lot of reasons that someone is looking at these financial statements, and most of them involve economic decisions. And so when some information is quantitatively important, its size, its value is high enough or low enough that it will influence that user's financial decisions, or qualitatively important, which could be certain financial ratios are out of proportion or that, for example, the company as a whole is operating with a profit or with a loss, that's, that's a qualitative aspect, then that kind of information, those kinds of, of values about information are material to the, to the user of the financial statement. And when we talk about these users, there's certain things that the standard tells us we're allowed to assume about them. Uh, for example, you don't have to assume that these people know nothing about the business. Uh, you're allowed to assume that they understand this business. They understand its operations, at least some, to some extent. That they understand its economic activities. And you're allowed to assume 
that the users of these financial statements recognize that there's a level of uncertainty in this information. So they're not automatically assuming that because you say revenue is exactly one million and one dollars, that it must be true to the penny that revenue was one million and one dollars. They recognize that there's some level of uncertainty, that there's judgment, that there's estimates uh, when you're applying GAAP. And you're allowed to assume that they're logical, basically that they make reasonable economic decisions. So as, you know, as a company becomes less profitable, obviously they might assume that there's a greater level of risk involved in that. And so you're allowed to assume that there's that, that logical uh, connection between these ideas. And materiality is used when we're performing our planning and when we're performing our audit. So when we're performing our planning, uh, we use it to discern the nature and extent of risk assessment procedures. We use it when we're trying to identify and assess the risk of material misstatement, because remember, we do that uh, not only on the financial statements as a whole, but also on the different areas of the financial statements and the different account balances and classes of transactions and at the assertion level. So you use uh, materiality there. And when we're determining the nature, timing, and extent of our further audit procedures, uh, we're using materiality there. And the standard AUC 320 discusses a very important concept um, that's relative to the concept of materiality, and that is performance materiality. And this is key because it's required by the standard and because it's really important when we're addressing the risk of material misstatement in these financial statements. So what is performance materiality? Performance materiality is some amount that's less than materiality and we use it to reduce to an appropriately low level the, the po possibility that aggregate misstatements that are less than material add up to being totally material. All right, so that's a little bit difficult and abstract to understand just in conversation. So let's actually use numbers as an example. So now at the moment, we're talking about quantitative materiality, not qualitative because I'm using numbers, right? So let's say that we've determined that $1 million is our material amount for these financial statements. Well, performance materiality is going to be some amount that's less than a million dollars and you're using this number because you're trying to track all of the uh, misstatements that are less than materiality just in case in aggregate they add up to be material. So let's say that your materiality is a million dollars where maybe your performance materiality is $750,000 because every time a misstatement is $750,000, you want to make sure you keep a record of that or some amount that's less than or close to $750,000 or maybe $500,000 because if you have several misstatements that add up, you know, this one's 200, that one's 500, and then another one's 500, well, in total, they add up to an amount greater than material, that's $1.2 million, and now you have a material misstatement. So the reason you use performance materiality is so that you can be tracking all of these less than material uh, misstatements in order to make sure that you don't accidentally have an aggregate material misstatement. All right, so we've talked about what materiality is, well, how is it determined? 
in a word or in a, a pair of words, actually, professional judgment. And I know that's, um, you know, that's a little bit loose for what some people might prefer. There are certain personality types that might say, well, uh, I wish that materiality was defined by the standard as exactly 5% of assets or uh, 3% of revenue or 1% of who knows what, equity or net profit. Um, well, it's not. Uh, it's, it's a professional judgment amount, but the standard does direct us in, in certain directions. So it says that often uh, a percentage of a benchmark is used. Okay. And a benchmark then can be several different things, and there's several things to consider. Uh, typically, a benchmark may be certain elements of the financial statements. So, if you'll remember from, uh, you know, from financial accounting, the elements are things like assets, liabilities, equity, revenue, expense, gains, losses, uh, you know, contributions. These are elements of the financial statement. So, it's typically a percentage of some elements. So maybe we'll say a percentage of assets or a percentage of uh, net profit or a percentage of revenue. And so you can use that amount to, to get your calculation. And when you're determining what percentage and what element, you want to make sure that you consider uh, the nature of the entity. If it's a for-profit entity or a governmental entity or a not-for-profit entity, there's going to be different things that you would want to, to use, different elements that you would want to focus on. And governmental, by the way, has uh, very specific uh, requirements discussed in the standard, which I won't get into here, but because they report at a, a fund level, it has materiality has to be calculated um, at this fund level, which e each of those funds is an opinion unit, so you have to calculate it there. But neither here nor there for the time being. You got to consider what this entity is doing, uh, the way it's owned and financed, and then the volatility of these elements. If, let's say you choose net income as what you're going to use to get a percentage of and calculate your materiality amount. Well, net income may be very different from one year to the next based on operations. And if it's very volatile, then this is something you have to consider when you're calculating materiality. Because one year when you calculate it, uh, let's say 5% of net income or 3% of net income, it's going to come out as, as one amount. And then the next year, well, what if they operate at a loss? Now what do you do? Or what if net income is significantly less just because of this one unusual transaction that occurred? Well, you have to take that into consideration. And something the standard says you can do is, is even normalize net income. Maybe back out certain things or maybe average it over a, a certain period of time if you need to because uh, that volatility can come into play, especially when you're thinking about it from the financial statement user's perspective, right? Because they know that operations are changing or that certain things are happening from year to year. So you're supposed to always keep the financial statement user in mind. And then to that effect, um, there are different classes of transactions or account balances or disclosures that maybe you know financial statement users are going to be looking at. Uh, maybe regulators are going to be looking at certain things. Maybe the lender is going to be work looking at one thing, an investor at another. And because of that, AUC 320 mentions that you might need to calculate materiality uh, not only on the financial statement level as a whole, but also for specific accounts and for specific disclosures or for specific classes of transactions. So you might have, you know, your number for the financial statements as a whole and then a separate number for this disclosure regarding 
you know, some business combination that's going to be happening or that happened, um, excuse me, in, in the past year. So that is something that has to be considered as well. So that's how materiality is determined. Uh, our third question is what documentation is required by the standard? Well, the standard requires that you document your materiality, obviously. Um, and then separately, we just mentioned that if you determine that materiality is necessary to be calculated also at an, an account balance level or at a class of transaction level, then you have to separately document that as well. Third, you have to document performance materiality. And that's that tool that we talked about that is used uh, to in ensure that misstatements that are less than material don't add up and become uh, in total, in aggregate, that they don't become material. And then fourth, any revisions that you're making to materiality along the way. So that revision concept, um, that can happen as you're progressing through the audit and new information becomes available that you didn't previously had. But that can also happen because maybe you're determining materiality um, during the interim when, or when you don't have final numbers. And so you use preliminary numbers to calculate your materiality, but then you eventually get the final numbers and you have to look at them and determine whether anything's significantly changed that's going to change your materiality calculation. And as you do make these or other types of revisions along the way, the standard requires that you document those as well. So those are our three questions, what materiality is, how it's determined, and what documentation is required by the standard. Let's just make sure that we're relating materiality to the big picture. So you've got these financial statement users. They're receiving these financial statements and they're making economic decisions of consequence based on these financial statements. Well, materiality, we're just making sure that there's no misstatement that's quantitatively enough or qualitatively such that the person would make a different decision. They would either invest or not invest, or invest more or less, or lend or not lend, because these types of things matter. And you got to make sure that as you're performing your audit, you're considering what is material to the user. So that concludes the topic for today, AUC 320, materiality. Uh, if you have any questions or comments, uh, you can visit the blog at bridgethegap.com or you can write me an email directly, rob at bridgethegap.com. And remember to look up the podcast in iTunes and subscribe. And if you like what you're hearing, I'd appreciate you leaving a review on iTunes as well. So as always, thanks for listening.